We take spaces that are busy during the day, activate and repurpose those spaces at night into pop-up accommodation. One of the superpowers that people that sleep rough gain is the power of invisibility. The area in society that needs the Yimby discussion the most is actually affordable and social housing and homelessness. Hello and welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And I'm a very excited Paul Fairweather. (laughs) Yes, we're on a mission to capture and share the tools and techniques of creativity in business. And we've just completed a remarkable, long recording. Paul, tell us about it. Yes, so thanks, Chris. Today, we we have had a... uh, And normally our podcasts are around 20 to 30 minutes. Today, it's... Going to be and my dad found himself hour. homeless uh, and sleeping uh, rough on the streets you know, of London. They seat you or invite you to. There's uh, over eight thousand people sleep rough life, across uh, Australia uh, every night. Incredible story uh, from Norm McGilvray, uh, an Englishman who now lives in Brisbane, who started a, a not-for-profit called Bed Down, uh, which is an incredibly simple idea about giving uh, uh, sleeping quarters to the homeless. Uh, and our uh, other guest that joined us is Natalie Raymond. Natalie is a planner, a principal of a firm called Walter Consulting. And uh, Norm was lucky enough to find Natalie, who helped him solve his major block uh, in getting this project up and running. Uh, so, Chris, um, highlights yeah, for you. There's are- 101 reasons why you should listen to this. Um, as you said, Paul, it's a, it's a sort of textbook case study in design thinking. One individual had an idea. He went for it. He overcame the obstacles. He worked with people to drive this project through to market. But there's a poetry in this idea, in this story as well, because um, Norman had a dream to do something positive for homeless people. And now he's learned that homeless people themselves don't tend to have dreams because they sleep so badly. And he's learned for a couple of his guests, they're called guests, um, that they now have dreams because he's given them a good night's sleep. It's, it's powerful stuff. It's poetic stuff. Um, and I think everyone should tune in. Yes, it's like we call it the common creative. And, and Norm is, you know, uh, a, not, not a common man as such. He's, he's an extraordinary man, but he's... Just a fellow that uh, circumstances uh, led him to have time on his hands and he came up with this idea. So, look, we won't uh, steal his thunder. Uh, we'll let him tell the story. Chris, let's get uh, both Natalie and uh, Norm on the show. Yep, let's hear what they've got to say. Thank you. So, uh, welcome, Norm, and welcome, Natalie. Thanks for joining us on The Common Creative. Thank you, Paul and Chris. I'm super excited to be here today. Thanks for having us. Great to see you both on the show. Um, I think we're on a bit of a roll with the idea of social projects. We've, we've had a couple of people um, already that are involved in that area and lots of positive feedback. So the idea of talking to you is filling me with excitement. So, uh, Norm, we might just jump straight into it. Tell us about uh, your story about Bed Down. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And for the listeners tuning in today, I guess the first thing they'll pick up is obviously Chris is from the UK, but... Also, I'm originally from the UK, and just to set the context of the motivation behind Bed Down before we sort of start talking about what Bed Down is, I need to take you back to the UK, and I need to take the listeners back to the UK and travel back in time to when I was a young a young child. My mum and dad were happily married. My dad had a business. 
He was a shop fitter, carpenter by trade, and in his early 30s, he suffered quite a severe stroke, which left him heavily disabled. It sort of paralyzed his right-hand side, his face dropped, impacted his speech. That was pretty much the end of the business overnight, and my mom was a bit younger than my father at the time, and she was bringing up a very small child, which was, which was myself, Now my dad was heavily disabled, that put a lot of stress and strain on the relationship and they separated and got divorced and my dad found himself homeless and sleeping rough on the streets of London. And to cut a long story short, I have vague recollections of periods of time that my dad would be around visiting, I'm not sure what time would pass, I just remember him being around uh, for a few weeks at a time and my mum would get him tidied up, haircut, shave, new clothing and then then he would go back to London. And at the age of 42, he suffered a heart attack, which ended his life, and he died lonely and homeless on the streets of London. And I was 11 years old at the time and helpless and powerless to do anything about it. I never had the opportunity to say goodbye. I never had the opportunity to say, I love you. That was it. He was gone. So here we are now, 40 years into the future, and I've made my way over to this fine country called Australia, and um, it's been really good, good to our family. And a couple of years ago, I was made redundant from my job in a not-for-profit organization. It was a not-for-profit in a different sector, and I, I, I nearly made it to eight years at a senior role. But the first thing you do when you're made redundant is to apply for lots of jobs, which I did. I then started getting the dear norms coming through in terms of emails. And I got to this point in time, I was thinking, well, I've spent nearly eight years in this not-for-profit organization. Maybe it's time for me to start my own not-for-profit charity organization. Homelessness was close to my heart with my father's story. When I started doing the research at the time, and this was sort of August, September 2018, homelessness was getting worse. It wasn't getting any better. And just to set some context for the listeners in terms of current stats, this is pre-pandemic. There's over 8,000 people sleep rough across Australia every night. That's on concrete, on benches, in parks and under bridges. But what really snapped my attention was that of those thousands of people that sleep rough every night across Australia, hundreds of people lose their life every year as a result of sleeping rough. And that can be from things such as being attacked, overdoses, suicides, infected wounds, pneumonia, that sort of thing. And what this actually means, and it's the same here as we sit here in 2021, that the average life expectancy of someone long-term sleeping rough is just 47 years of age. And I, I looked at that and I thought, well, we've had all these technological advancements, medical advancements over the last five years, never mind the last 40 years, yet that needle hasn't moved much. So this was unacceptable to me and I needed to do something about it. The next thing, of course, was what am I going to do about it? And I I, I spent a few days at home writing ideas on post-it notes and sticking them on the bedroom wall. And nothing was really resonating and connecting for me. And I'm not sure how you guys look at problem solving and how the listeners look at problem solving. But what I find helps me is if you're in the boiling pot and you're not getting very far, it's good to take yourself out of the boiling pot and try and clear the mind, whether it's watching TV, playing video games, reading, meditation, whatever it is. This particular day, I thought I'm just going to take myself out for a coffee, do some retail therapy. And look, I'm not a religious person by any means, but I don't know if this particular day my dad was looking down at me or the, or the planets just aligned. I got to this local shopping centre here in Brisbane and I pulled in, opened the car door, and that's where the light bulb moment, what, 
occurred for what would become bed down because the place was virtually empty this car park was empty and i got out i grabbed my phone and there's an app on the iphone called measure and i was going around in augmented reality measuring a car park in bay and i was looking at this space thinking wow look at this shelter it's clean it's sheltered from the weather i wonder if anyone's doing anything with car parks so i got my coffee got home started researching on google couldn't find anything so I was thinking, right, okay, great. Car, car parks as a shelter to help the homeless stay in. So the next thing was, what's the sleeping arrangement going to look like? If someone was going to come and sleep in a car park, what does that look like? I don't want to be carrying around these huge mattresses because logistically that would be very challenging for movement and then storage. Inflatable mattresses have come a long way in recent years from the days of foot pumps and blowing them up with your, your mouth, trying to like spend hours trying to inflate a mattress. So you literally can take a plug out of a, an inflatable mattress now, plug it into the wall, flick a switch, they inflate themselves and then deflate themselves. So I was thinking, right, great. Car parks is a space for shelter, inflatable mattresses for people to sleep on. The next thing was, who are the major car park operators here in Australia and New Zealand? So some more research there and... Secure Park, you know, the largest car park operator here in Australia, New Zealand. They operate over 600 car parks. So I was like, right, okay. So I was on their website. I found out who the executive team was. Uh, Peter Anson's the CEO. I, I, I use a platform called LinkedIn. So I found Peter on LinkedIn and then I sent him a message and I said, Hi, Peter. My name is Norm. I've got an idea that I'd like to talk to you about to help the homeless. And to his credit, he came back pretty quick and said, Norm, that sounds interesting. Um, here's my email address and uh, let me know what this idea is. And of course, at that point, I'm thinking, well, great, he's come back to me. But the next the next thing is, oh, crap, what's this going to look like on an email? Because you know what it's like, depending on how you write an email, then you then the person receiving it and how that person interprets it um, can be taken in a number of different ways. So I, I didn't want to get the dear norm or no one responding back to me. So I went back to Peter and, and said, hey, Peter, I'd love to talk to you face to face talk you through the idea in person and he again he, he come back pretty quick and he said we get lots of approaches norm from not-for-profits if you can just send me the email and uh, we'll take it from there so here i was on this friday night thinking how do i structure this email that i, I get his attention so I, I it started with dear peter this is the problem around australia with rough sleepers and homelessness you've got all this underutilized space at night and then there was about 10 dot points that are laid out then underneath that was secure parking could be a first mover in this space um, good corporate social responsibility community good uh, would love to talk to you more about it and i sent it off on a friday night and i was there thinking oh i wonder if he'll come back to me better go back to seek and see what new jobs have come up um, and honestly <laughs> honestly uh it gives me goosebumps every time i talk about this because within about 20 minutes or so he came back and said wow this sounds like a really great idea let's arrange a meeting so that was validation and 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 look look fellas this this next next bit might sound a bit sort of random so please bear with me on this once peter come back with the validation on the idea and the concept something changed inside of me that night and the only way i can articulate it is as follows and when, whenever you've met someone or whenever the listeners have met someone in life and you fall in love with that person, you get to that point of the relationship, you sort of like start talking about moving in together. You start talking about, oh, let's move into an apartment or a house. And you start looking at houses and apartments and you go through lots of houses and apartments, nothing fits the bill. Then you walk into that one place and you're like, wow, this is the place we're going to spend the rest of our life. So I'd found the purpose, the North Star, the place that I was going to spend the rest of my life and nothing was going to stop me from that point. Famous last words, by the way. Um, 
so so this all occurred this email around october 2018 and i arranged a meeting to go down and meet with secure park in november um, 2018 and i prepared this big powerpoint presentation pitch to present to peter Anson. and i walked into the meeting he didn't know the backstory about my dad i'd been made redundant and then i started presenting the idea of bed down and i got about five slides in and he sort of like put his hand up and he said look we want to be part of this uh we want to support you on this i was like wow that's amazing but i've got like another 50 slides to go through here Peter. let me get let, let me get through the presentation and honestly i don't, i don't think i needed to needed to come back on a plane from sydney that night i was i was on such a high it was an amazing experience and then naively, naively on that point when Secure Parking were on board, I thought, great, we can start welcoming guests in. And we refer to people that use our service as guests because we want to welcome people in as if they're part of the family or family friend. So things went a bit astray in December 2018 when I met with uh, the local council here in Brisbane. And before I went into that meeting with the local council, in my mind, I, I was thinking they're going to be saying, Norm, what a fantastic idea. What do we need to do to make to make to help you with this idea and to expedite the process? And then I went to have this meeting with Brisbane City Council and it was the total opposite. I found myself in front of about seven people where I thought I was going to meet someone one on one. And I was just on the defensive for the whole meeting. And they started talking about things like planning and building code and compliance so that was a very interesting meeting. I, I come away from that meeting a little bit deflated. And having been made redundant, I was thinking, well, how am I going to get this charity off the ground? I can't afford, I can't afford um, to fund it. So I'd raised, I'd started a, a GoFundMe campaign in December of 2018 as well. And I estimated that I need about $40,000. That turned out to be a very low estimate in, in the grand scheme of things. And that was to that was to hire equipment, buy equipment, website, legal fees, all that sort of stuff. I wasn't expecting to hear it's going to cost you five thousand dollars per development application from Brisbane City Council. And I got to January 2019, and I'd raised about fifteen hundred dollars on this GoFundMe campaign. I was like, wow, that's amazing that people want to donate. That's great, but I need to I need to change the strategy. I need to find a different way of finding support. And now planning and building code with this big spanner in the works. And I started reaching out to my connections on LinkedIn. And one of them come back and said, hey, I need to introduce you to this amazing person called Natalie Raymond at the Walter Consulting Group. I was like, great, let's arrange a coffee. And I met. I and this is the Natalie Raymond that's on this call right now, I'm guessing. <laughs> oh, is that right? That, that's right. <laughs> and hopefully that's a nice segue into a little bit for, for, for Natalie to speak to. Because I met uh, Natalie in January of 2019 and over a coffee and I told her what I wanted to do with Bed Down and I sort of set the context and I, context and I told her about my father and I said, we want to we want to start looking at venues here in Brisbane and planning and building code have been this been this big issue and sort of got to the end of that meeting and, and I think Natalie's words were, and she can confirm or deny this or put her spin on it was, how do we, how do we help you with this? And from that point, it's been an interesting journey. And thankfully, if it wasn't for the help and assistance of Natalie and her amazing team at the, the Walter Consulting Group, we wouldn't be having this this conversation here now. So, Norm, that, that, that is so fantastic. You know, you said you at one stage you had goosebumps. I had goosebumps many times. You know, listening to that story, and uh, and I've heard it before secondhand. And uh, you know, just to hear you tell it is just very compelling. I, I think we'd like to come back and unpack a few of the things about your process because in a lot of ways the first part of your process was, you know, like um, copybook design thinking, you know, everything's working well. And, you know, in some ways 
you know, like the design process doesn't really work unless you have some blocks. So at least you had some blocks. But look, we will flip to Natalie because I know when Natalie told me this story, you know, she told me from her part leading up. And, and Natalie, I think it was your birthday, wasn't it? And you, your birthday or your, the best day it of was. your life, I think you. So why don't you tell your story? Sure. Thank you. And I think I'm the same. I still get goosebumps hearing that story. And it was, it was two years ago, uh, pretty much two years ago last January that I heard that story for the first time, which was, I guess, the day that was quite challenging for Norm because he had this amazing idea, but he had a big problem. Uh, and that pl- problem was planning. And here I am as a planner, um, you know, th- thinking that I'm doing a great job in, in my career, yet, you know, hearing it from another perspective and really, you know, hearing uh, the pro- the problem um, that was, you know, it was really a roadblock um, to achieving something quite incredible. So, yeah, I I do reflect and look back on that and it, I still get a little bit emotional talking about it because it was quite an epiphany to hear this story and um, and think, well, really that is why I became a planner so that we can help uh, solve some of these, I guess what you would call wicked problems uh, in in life. And, you know, e- even if that's helping one person uh, with their idea, um, then that's a great day. So for me meeting Norm, it was um, by coincidence on my birthday and I, I still remember because I went home and sort of went, well, Actually, that was one of the best days uh, in my career because I really feel like I can help. It's true. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess for me, I was very inspired by Norm's idea. Um, it was something I was already interested in because I, you know, I guess as a planner, I do believe housing is a human right. Um, yet, you know, by law, it's not a human right in our uh, state or in our country. So, anything I can do to uh, address that problem, um, then that's a, a great day. And that's certainly, you know, some of the work that we do in another not-for-profit called Yimby Yes in My Backyard to try to change attitudes about housing. But this was a direct um, example of something that I could do on the ground. And I think also it came at the beginning of a year. So, you know, my birthday is always a time to reflect and still be sort of setting my goals for the year but also running or you know helping to run a company we were also setting our uh, values and our goals for the year in terms of what our values are and we decided that we should choose a charity of choice so it just became the perfect opportunity to not only let me um, see if I could help Norm as a town planner but also to see if it was an opportunity for our, uh, my, all my colleagues here at Walter, Walter Consulting Group to see if there was something they could do. So, you know, certainly work with some amazing planners. And there's been a couple of us, uh, on Norm's project. Uh, Gabby, uh, has been working very closely with me to help solve the specific problem. But then our whole, uh, team has got on board with people volunteering and then also trying to fundraise. So it is a way that we can all actually, um, feel really positive. So I don't okay. know. Yep. Yeah, can, can I jump in with a question? Yeah. And it's lovely to hear part two of the story, which has also given me goosebumps. It's, it's kind of wonderful to hear how this partnership came together. I'm fascinated by the name of your not-for-profit, Yes, in my backyard, because we're all trained from an early age to say no. 
We're specialists in turning things down, blocking things. Maybe the best specialists live in councils, who knows? But you know, that's kind of, I think, one of the themes that's coming out here is that it seems to be such a great idea waiting to happen, and yet blockages appear. Why go for something like Yes in My Backyard? What? Tell me about the name. I'm very inspired by the name, and I can't say how I came up with it. It's it's really a movement. It's become something uh, quite international. And, yeah, it, it is, I think, uh, at the core of it, it's about uh, realising that, that part of the challenges we have in society is to try to make sure that there is housing uh, of all types and for all income levels in all locations. And we just don't have that, um, I guess, planning over the years has been very... Uh, separationist or segregationist Um, we've had areas where you just um, you know can't do a lot of things and I think also over the years it's become um, you know an area of adversity we even you know call it impact assessment so you know the first name when you see a development application and a sign come up next to your property or in your neighborhood you know is impact accessible Um, you know have have your say and it's it's a it's a negative discussion from the beginning it's about saying we're changing your neighborhood and of course that's going to create some fear but we never really have the conversation about why we're doing that and how that actually does connect with your values what's important to you in life you know is it important that people have a home that you know as you age you'll have a different type of home in your neighborhood or as your children grow up they can also afford to stay in the neighborhood in in something smaller um you know there's so many conversations and so at first when we started uh you know just raising this and saying you know let let's have a conversation that's positive and so really at the core it's about finding yes is there a way to get to yes about a project and what's good about it um, what what we realise is that we're often having a conversation about development and so sometimes we're perceived as shills for developers or, you know, it's, it's something that's uh, not community focused. But when you get to the core of it, you know, it's actually infrastructure projects. So new green bridges, they're, they're about to be advertised. Um, the new one at Kangaroo Point, you know, new, new roads or infrastructure, people want it, but again, not in their backyard. But the, the area in society that needs the YIMBY discussion the most is actually affordable and social housing and homelessness because, you know, what's worse in some people's mind than having a brand new expensive looking apartment next door is having social housing next door. So that YIMBY conversation is very multifaceted. But if I can help someone get some uh, accommodation for people who are most vulnerable in our city, then that's a great outcome for YIMBY for me. Fantastic. Um, Norm, we must find out who this very clever person is that connected you with uh, Natalie, whose you know whose whole life was pre-prepared. I got to say that when I was an architect, uh, a new client was you know was a, an exciting thing, but it tended to be downhill by uh, from that point. Especially if I found that they weren't going to pay any money. So <laughs> I love this. Uh, I love this relationship. What I'm really interested in, and, and there's so much here that we, you know, we've got to unpack is, Norm, on your story, we got to the to the block, and so you've come to Natalie, and I know that Natalie is an excellent planner and good at solving problems, but, but I, I'd really like to know how you guys solved this issue of this block, because I think it's very clever what you've done. Well, thank you. And I, I think, you know, 
I didn't know the language of planning and building code and compliance is to me is like Mandarin. I, I just don't, you know, I don't get it. And it's very technical. And once Natalie and the team at the Wilder Consulting Group said, hey, we'd love to support you on this. It was like, right, whew, I can take that weight off my shoulders. All I needed to do now was go around Brisbane and find different venues. And then Natalie would look at them and look at where they are in Brisbane, the zone, the overlays, and then say, yeah, that one's possibly suitable or no, that would not, we wouldn't be able to get that one over the line and so on and so forth. So to have the experts use their expertise to help me and then the, navigate that with Brisbane City Council and the back and forth with uh, the communication side there was of great assistance. It, it, it really was. And um, I think, help me on this one, Nudley, I think it took the best part it took the best part of eight months. I think towards the end of July 2019, we got we got the letter back from Brisbane City Council saying, yeah, we agree. We didn't even actually need planning permission in the end. It was to, We needed to get Brisbane City Council to agree to the planning definition that Natalie and the team had um, worked up for us. So, so do you want to tell us about that, Natalie? So I guess there were probably two or three things. Um, first of all, yeah, it was the language. It was the, the land use definition. So, you know, always... I guess the first step in uh, planning is what what are you proposing to do? And Norm was changing a commercial office building in the city with the car park underneath into residential accommodation overnight and then back to a commercial office building and, and car parking by day. And, uh, and that was back and forward, back and forward. And, you know, there's, of course, some exemptions for uh, things like, you know, temporary activities, but really a temporary activity is something you're going to do once or twice, you know, set up a market, uh, not something that was happening every night. So this was really an intermittent, intermittent use. It wasn't just a temporary thing. So we knew that we had to get an approval for it. Then we had to decide what to actually call it. What was this thing? Um, because, you know, the building already was built. It already had an approval to be a commercial office building with some car parking underneath, but we wanted to convert it to residential. And um, that in itself is a daunting thing because usually a development application is going to have uh, quite quite a hefty application fee, probably that 5,000 uh, need, need to add a zero sometimes or, or, or so. And it also has a long time frame. It has the risk if it's impact accessible. People around there might not be sure that that's what they want um, next to them or in their office building. So there's a lot of risk, time and cost involved in making that application. But it wasn't even that simple. It was, you know, there's a whole lot of different definitions of residential land uses. So what was this? This was people sleeping in an open car park on temporary beds uh, and using the existing end-of-trip facilities and, um, you know, bring, bringing people in to, to support that. So what was it? Uh, and so, first of all, we had to go through really all the land use definitions to decide which one fit best. But then we didn't want to just go along, you know, on that journey because it really was something out of the norm. Norm, uh, or perhaps a, <laughs> a square peg in a round hole. Um, so it didn't really fit any definition. So we had to find what was really um, the best fit, and then we wanted to make sure we had agreement on that. So that was really the first step. We found that it was best suited to something called rooming accommodation. So that's what Norm does in uh, in planning speak, is rooming accommodation. But the more common rooming accommodation is actually student accommodation. And 
we've, we realised quite quickly once we started looking at these secure car parking sites that Norm had access to, that some of those would have an easier path than others. So we said, well, Norm, tell us the different uh, potential sites that had secure car parks that met all of Norm's requirements, and we'll have a look at them because there's the possibility we could find uh, one that perhaps doesn't need to get an approval, and that's going to save you your effort, uh, time, and uh, the emotional experience of going through that development application. So we had a look at them and we, I guess, you know, found the right zone right in the middle of the CBD. Of course, you can do quite a lot of things. Uh, you can even change the tenancies within existing buildings if you're not constrained. So we needed to find the buildings in the city that didn't have what they call a flood overlay over it that might have triggered an application or wasn't too close to an industrial activity. Even if that was on the other side of the river, we had to exclude a little part of the CBD. Uh, and we found a site where that was possible. Well, I think we actually found two. But then to be uh, exempt or what they call accepted development, go, you know, pass, um, go back and pass go, collect your $200, it was, um, it had to actually also meet the code uh, acceptable outcomes. So we didn't only have to decide the definition, find the location where you could do this, but we had to actually meet all the requirements in the code. And because rooming accommodation is more commonly for student accommodation, one of the requirements Norm had to go out and measure was how close we were to the closest university. You know, that that's how, um, in anyway, random some of the requirements were. Um, we also had to make sure we weren't close to any spray painting booths and, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, at least being in the CBD uh, and using, um, you know, what we found as an exemption, we didn't have to deal with car parking. But if we had have had to deal with car parking, that could have been, you know, p- perhaps a challenge because those car parks really were provided there for the office, even though the office was shut. So shared use of car parking could have been an issue. That's why we had to find uh, an easy way through. So we did find one eventually and uh, and finally got council to write, um, you know, an acknowledgement, I guess, to agree with our definition, our location, and that we complied with those codes. Norm was uh, free to go. Natalie, can I ask, was there no question of the council saying, this is new, this is innovation, this solves a huge need, and therefore maybe we can work with you to develop new rules rather than say, these are the rules, you work out whether we can, you can fit within them. Why, why didn't they look at it that way? I would have loved that, absolutely. And uh, in fact, there is a, a nice little definition of community residence that the state government has made exempt all over Queensland. Equally, there's some uh, accommodation for people suffering um, domestic violence. So there's a number of social housing exemptions that exist. But the problem was that the definition of community residence was capped at providing accommodation for six people. And so we've actively, you know, I guess under the YIMBY banner, uh, as well as the Bed Down banner, been lobbying the state government to make this an exemption uh, more widely across the state, because then we don't have to, uh, you know, have solved Brisbane City Council, but the next time Norm might want to open in Mackay or in Cairns or, you know, in somewhere else in regional Queensland would have the same problems. So yes, we've We've tried to create those conversations, but it's unfortunately a long journey to changing uh, planning schemes and planning rules. Yes. Mm. So, well, thanks for that, Natalie. So, um, Norm, where, where, where are you up to now with your project? So we started getting 
thankfully, Natalie came on board and started, um, started to support Meddan, and then we started getting support from other organisations. So sort of moving forward, and I'm conscious of time here because I, 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 I could talk for, for hours about Meddan. Good, I'm, I'm happy. Keep going. And, and, and the journey. I sort of got to February of 2019, and, and I was getting this amazing from support from Natalie, and there was an organisation that were looking to build our website, uh, Pro Bono, absolutely amazing. And I, I looked as like, well, Norm, you've got this personal experience of homeless connected with your father, but if you really want to solve and address an issue or a problem, you need to experience the issue firsthand. So in February of, of 2019, myself and two other people, we went, we went out to sleep rough in Brisbane City for the night. It was only overnight, very short period in the grand scheme of things. But let me tell you, that changed my perspective totally about what we were looking to do. Because honestly, until you throw a sleeping bag down on a piece of concrete, you soon find out that the human body is not designed to be in that environment. We've come a long way since we were cave men and cave women. Now, in 2018 at the time, it's a very brutal, cruel, inhumane existence. And I remember it quite viscerally because I, I was sat on the steps of the Commonwealth Bank building after getting up from the concrete and trying to adjust myself after just a few minutes because I, I was in quite a lot of pain. And I sat looking over to Queen Street Mall and on one side, outside of St George's Bank, there was someone sleeping rough there. And on the other side, there was people in the Louis Vuitton shop having a very, very nice time. And I thought, well, isn't that an interesting convergence of where poverty meets luxury? And let me tell you, benches... Although they're an upgrade from concrete, they're not very comfortable either. And I never got to sleep much that night and went through that whole sort of sleep deprivation process that people do. And, you know, the environment itself, it was warm. You have you have the, the environment of concrete or the bench. You then have sound in terms of construction noise, people noise, traffic noise that come into the mix. And... I sort of come to the 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 conclusion that you know I, I wasn't I was just there voluntarily overnight. Someone who's ha- found themselves in this situation through no cause of their own, whether or not it's fleeing a family or domestic violence or financial distress, they've lost their job, lost their home, and they're carrying baggage now. And one of the superpowers that people that sleep rough unfortunately gain is the power of invisibility and let me tell you within the first few minutes of me sitting down on a piece of concrete with some colleagues people just walk by they don't see you they don't notice you and after a period of time as you could probably imagine and depending on what's led you to that point and you're not sleeping very well that your mental health would start to deteriorate you're not sleeping your physical health will start to deteriorate and I, I come to the conclusion there's probably three paths that you'd probably take one would be to the bottom of a bottle one would be to another substance or one is a darker path where we find a lot of people commit suicide through you know depression and such so that opened my eyes because there's a lot of services that are available to people during the day you know you can you can get your breakfast your lunch and your evening meal but once you've had that final meal at night you've got to go back to your bit of real estate whether it's in front of a shop in a park on a bench or under a bridge there's really nothing at night for people to go to so just cemented in my heart that what I was trying to do and looking to do with bed down I was on the right track for Interestingly enough, after that, Channel 7 found out what, what I'd just done and what we were looking to do with Bed Down. And they filmed a, they filmed a news story in February of 2019 with a concept of showing a few beds in a few bays at an empty car park at night in Brisbane City with Peter Anson, who come up from Sydney. And when, when that was posted on March the 9th of 2019... I. Again, naively, I thought, oh, if I get a little, if I get a little bit of exposure through the Channel Seven Facebook page, you know, like a thousand views, just to let people know.
know what we're doing, I'll be super grateful. Look, millions of years later, and it went around Australia and started getting even more validation for the idea. And this this was in March now, and people are reaching out to me. Like, <laughs> I was up, I was up to about two or three a.m. for three weeks after that story went out because I couldn't keep up with the likes and shares on social media. But one of the things I was trying to do was trying to keep keep a pace with people messaging me and um, people saying, "Wow, this is incredible! How do we how do we get on board? When's it happening?" And of course, I couldn't say when it was happening because we were still we were still at the very early stages of the the red tape and bureaucracy. But just to sort of fast forward fast forward a bit now for the for the listeners. We got all the approvals towards the end of end of sort of July of 2019, and we'd established as a charitable organisation. So before I start talking about the pilot, which commenced in towards the end of September and into October of 2019, I think very quickly just to sort of go over what Bed Down is all about for the listeners. So we've talked about how it all came to be and such, but what we're actually about is the following. So we take spaces that are busy during the day or left empty and vacant during the day, and we activate and repurpose those spaces at night into pop-up accommodation to provide safety, shelter, security, services, and sleep for our guests. I'm looking to construct Bed Down on three core foundation principles of which they are the following. Uh, The first one is the most important one. And the most logical one, which is we believe everyone deserves a bed to sleep in. No one in 2021 now should have to sleep on concrete, on a bench, in a park or under a bridge. They they deserve access to a safe place to get a good night's sleep. That's the first core foundation. The second most and equally as most important core foundation is the second one, which is it's about repairing the quality of life before building a life of quality for our guests. And what that actually means is if we chop that in half and look at repairing the quality of life, Wrapped around this premise of providing safety, security, shelter and sleep for our guests, we collaborate with other charitable organisations, not-for-profits and service providers to come in and deliver services. So we have doctors, nurses, dentists, social workers, new clothes, food and beverages and such for our guests to access. That allows our guests to restore dignity, respect, self-esteem and confidence back to our guests. Building a life of quality is also about collaboration and how do we get our guests into a longer term solution and what does that look like? Is it education, training, employment, accommodation or rehabilitation or a combination of all those factors? If we get our guests into a longer term solution means they're not coming back to bed down, which is absolutely incredible and amazing because that then leads into our final core foundation, which is the big, hairy, audacious vision and goal of bed down, which is to expedite the end of bed down. So at some point in the future, not to be required anymore. Now, having said that, I'm not naive in the fact that you don't solve, solve homelessness overnight and flick a switch and it's all, you know, it, it all comes to an end. It's a long, it's a long game. But that's the drive and determination from day one to lead to that point that we will look to drive ourselves out of business by helping as many people transition into a longer term solution as possible. So with that in mind, we then we, we then launched this had never been done anywhere in the world before the the pilot towards the end of September of 2019. And I never set any expectations, guys, on on the pilot because I was like, all this red tape and bureaucracy we've had to go through. I just want to get this thing going. In my heart, I feel it's the right thing to do. I just want to get it going and see see how we go. And and look, let me tell you here and now, I, I put to the I put to the test the the statistic. I think they say that the human body is made up of about 80% of water. Let me tell you, I put that to the test most nights because I found myself in a corner getting quite emotional and the first instance of that was when after just a few days one of our guests came up to us and he said it's the first time I've had a dream in years and from that point that was it I was in the corner because I wasn't expecting to hear that it come totally left field to me 
And when I composed myself and reflected on that, and I was thinking, well, yeah, here's a person who's out in the streets who doesn't experience a good night's sleep because he's sleeping with the proverbial one eye open in fear of either being attacked, having his belongings stolen or being moved on. The fact that we provided this safe space for this person to get into such a great sleep that they started to, to dream again was like absolutely incredible. So then it was one thing after another. We had a female guest come up to us as she was able to sleep in a safe place at night. She was able to get a job during the day and she would come up to us and say, hey, can you wake me up at 4.30 in the morning so I can start getting ready to go to work? We had another male guest that after a consistent period of a good night's sleep, he had the clarity of mind to start looking at getting his life back on track and he booked himself into rehabilitation. After the end of the two-week pilot, it was um, it was pretty bittersweet because we had people coming in and, and hugging us and kissing us and saying, you guys are incredible. I haven't had to use drugs since I've been staying with you because I haven't needed to because I'm in this safe space getting a good night's sleep. And uh, the clinics were out everywhere for a lot of us because that was so amazing to hear. But then on the other side of that, that was the end of the, the pilot. And we were putting these people back out onto the streets the next day. So that was very bittersweet. We had our friends at Channel 7 come back to do a follow-up story when we got to the pilot. And again, naively, I'm thinking, well, we raised the bar with the first story with all these views. What's this one going to do? It can't possibly get anywhere near that, surely. And that went to another level because then people could see the model in action and see people accessing doctors and dentists and stuff. And that gave us not even more exposure around Australia, but then sort of internationally. So it was absolutely incredible life-changing experience, you know, where you create a platform that not only looks to change people's lives, but save people's lives. Mm. Um, Norm, I, I just want to say that, uh, you know, that, 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 that story about the dreaming, you know, is amazing because, you know, it's almost like an unexpected, you know, thing, but it, it's so connected with your own thing. You had a, you had a dream, <laughs> Yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, and and then all of a sudden, all these other people have got a dream, but it's not what we think about. You know, is uh, you know these big dreams. You know, it's just it's just actually just having a dream. Yeah. You know, and, at and, and I think we, I think that's that, that that that's quite important that you mention that, Paul, because you you know I'll try not to get too emotional here myself. Now. <laughs> well, um, that was all crying. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's 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 hard to talk about, but. You know, I couldn't help my dad as a child. Now through Bed Down, we can help someone else's dad, someone else's mom, someone else's son, and someone else's daughter. And look, I know he's been he's been with me along this journey for the last two years. He's been there by my side or looking down on me for sure. So, yeah, well, it's fantastic, Norm. Now, and so you're 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 going to going live in. In a couple of weeks, is that right, in Brisbane? A couple of weeks. Wow, that really brings it to the fore. Yeah, it's, it's about probably about three or four weeks, and we're, we're going through this process now. I guess very, very quickly, you know, we come off the back of that pilot on such a high, thinking that, right, we're going to be back um, helping guests pretty pretty quick after that. And um, we had gr- grand ambitions of, of fundraising and such to become this sustainable organisation in, in Brisbane. Then, then we faced the hurdles of droughts, bushfires, floods, and then the pandemic last year was the final kind of spanner in the works but here we are now and we're, we're coming back to where it all began and maybe for another time there's there's a story of what's happened in the last 12 months because there's been a few opportunities come and go um there but here here we go and we're getting getting ready to start again for an eight-week extended trial with a view of this becoming our first permanent venue here in brisbane so i'm super excited um, the unfortunate thing, though, here as a result of the pandemic is we're going to see homelessness rise to a rate across Australia that we haven't seen here before. 
And we're already beginning to see see that throughout the pandemic. You know, the statistic of over 8,000 people sleeping rough across Australia every night was based on the, t- the 2016 census and we're due for another one. But just to set the gravity of the situation, maybe for those who are listening, the one positive thing of the pandemic was that state and territory governments took people that were sleeping rough across Australia and put them into hotels and motels during the pandemic. 40,000 people were put into hotels and motels another accommodation during the pandemic with only a third of those people gone on to longer term solutions you know you got 25,000 people potentially on the streets at this moment in time and we've got the end of job keeper and the end of job seeker happening as we speak here in march it's going to further compound the issue we're going to have a big problem over the next 12 and 24 months so to get started again hopefully as long as we don't go into any lockdowns and such is super exciting for me and Paul, I know you've put your hand up, so uh, you'll get to experience it firsthand also. Norma, what if we jump in a question about the, the, the practicalities of your pilot, having got through all the planning and everything, and there you are finally giving your guests a bed to sleep on and a place to stay. Did you get any uh, pushback from the locals? Because I'm thinking about my backyard. It, you know, hearing, it, hearing your story, it's wonderful. I'm so pleased you're doing this. It's great, it's great. But for those people for whom it was next door, I think there's a, there's a sort of wicked side of society where people go, well, that's now in my backyard and I don't want it. It's horrible. And take it away, put it somewhere else. Did you experience that? And if so, how did you overcome it? Well, it's, it's very interesting that you mentioned that, Chris, because one of the things I think um, the building landlords were very cognizant of was we were operating this in a structure that, that holds over 3,000 employees on a daily basis. And some of those people worked quite late at night. So they were, they were expecting a bit of pushback when they sent out the internal communications, as, as, as were, I think, secure parking, um, when they sent out the communications to those people that were frequenting the car park. But incredibly, everyone come back super positive and super supportive of the, of the project and saying how, how amazing it was. It, we had days where, because um, we operate within like a 12-hour window between sort of 6 p.m. at night and then we're through to 6 a.m. the next morning. We had people coming in in the morning, like tradies, coming in to do work on site. They're going, oh, you're, you're the guys that are doing how bloody amazing work that you guys are doing. It's fantastic. There should be more of this. And it, it, it was so, so well received. And quite interestingly, just to, inter- that you mentioned about um, kickback from people. The original, the original Channel 7 story that went out that had thousands and thousands of views and 50% were super positive and 50% went super negative and into the gutter. Once people could see it on the follow-up story, nearly about 99% people moved in to the sort of positive sort of um, side because they could see it in action. It wasn't what they interpreted in their head in terms of how it would operate. They could see it was like, wow, this is incredible. So it's interesting that you bring that up. We haven't had any um, negative feedback from the surrounding community. That's for sure. So there's a, I think it's a really important lesson there because I'm thinking about all those other projects that that any of us might have tried, whether they just be a business project at business or a project with a social purpose. Everybody's instinctive reaction is no, 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 it's, oh, hey, no, it's good. It's inc-. And you found a way of persuading people to embrace it and be positive about it. And, and if I'm hearing you right, the lesson is they need to see it. They need to experience it. And then what might That's be their imagination will be dispelled by, look, the reality of this is it works, it's doing good, and you can even support it if you want to. Is that, is that the right? Bi- the, biggest, the biggest impediment for bed down, to be perfectly honest, and, and, and the idea of bed down is to take this from Brisbane and bring it to as many people across Australia as possible. But the biggest impediment that we're finding, and, and car parks is, by the way, it's just one empty and vacant space at night. There's lots of different spaces that we can adapt and apply the bed down model to, is 
council and government. It is, and and their regulations. It's the biggest impediment. And then following that, following that, then is of course you need the funding to make make sure you can deploy it. But yeah, but bizarre, isn't it? You know, your biggest roadblock is 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 governments and um and regulations. Yet you know, government spent so much money trying to solve the homeless problem, <laughs> and so it is it is the classic catch twenty two uh, situation. <laughs> Uh, sorry, and I was just going to say, you know, really, there is such a um, what we think is a simple solution to that to, you know, broaden that exemption to, to you know, really deal with uh, norms model. And, and so I think that, you know, is the challenge for planning and regulators and politicians is to see an opportunity. And if it doesn't work in the current in, you know, the current rules or current legislation, look at that and, um, and, and find a way forward. Because, you know, ultimately, if that was an exemption across Queensland in situations where it works perfectly fine in the middle of a CBD where there's not a lot of, um, you know, people, I guess, um, to upset or, or concern. And now a model that shows people exactly what that means and, you know, cuts out that fear factor, then they're also potentially, you know, the easiest way to solve this problem moving forward. But we just need to have that, um, you know, person who's going to lead that legislation change. Natalie, any tips on dealing with council and government? Is there a Norman, is there a Natalie type person in Brisbane City Council that finally said, well, we'll, we'll use the rule book, but let me help you find the right part of that rule book, for example? Or is it just a set of rules? Is there a person like that in there that helps you? Of course, there's amazing people, and I'm sure that they're solving a lot of wicked problems every day, but I think it's a slow, uh, you know, it's a slow moving thing to change uh, planning legislation, which is really a contract with the community. And so I feel like the only solution is really these sort of conversations. It's having those conversations with the community and also. I guess having more of those before to after stories. So, you know, norms is a perfect before and after story. People could see it, they could understand it, and therefore any fear um, of the unknown fell away. We don't really do that in our planning systems at the moment. You know, we we put up these big signs, we scare people about this new thing that's going to happen in their neighbourhood or next door to them, and we hear all of this community concern sometimes so much that ends up in the media or in the local press or in um, the local politician's office that the project stops and never actually goes ahead but we don't often hear those after stories which I sometimes hear you know where the very people that were opposing a project end up buying into the project or you know living very comfortably and happily with that project or seeing the benefit later we just don't share those stories so I just feel like we need a lot more inspiring stories out there. And can I, can I ask, Norman, um, why is homelessness a, a taboo almost? We don't dare talk about it. If you see a homeless person, they're invisible. If I don't acknowledge them, they're not there. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering why. Um, and if, if it is a taboo, if it is something that's too scary to consider, what we can do to change that perception? Yeah, it's a good point. And, and one of the things I'm keen keen to do as as bed down sort of scowls and grows, hopefully, is is a, there there is a stigma around homelessness, and people will walk by someone and look at that person and 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 jump to and jump to conclusions and and judge them whether they they think they're an alcoholic, a drug addict, or get off your ass and get a job. Pardon my French, there, listeners. You know, without understanding, you know, what is the story of that person? How has that person got to this point in time? Because let me tell you, 
99% of the time is through a traumatic event that that person has found themselves in that situation. And I heard many stories during that pilot, um, and I'll share one on Saturday, Paul, when you, when, when you come along, of, of, of how, how some people find themselves in that situation through a family tragedy, tragedy. They lose their job as a result of that. They lose their home, and they're in grief, and they find themselves in that situation. So it's about... It's about changing the face of homelessness, if that makes sense, and, and, and talking about people's stories and showing successes. People don't, want, people don't want to live like this. Some people get, unfortunately, institutionalized because they've been there for so long. It's a way of life for them. And that, in my opinion, they've been let down by the system when they first became homeless, and now they've, got, they've adapted to a way of life. But they still, people still deserve access to a safe place to get a good night's sleep. So it is, it is about bringing those stories to the fore. It's about, I'm, I'm hoping that we end up having advocates that have come through bed down and then, you know, found a, a long-term solution, then become advocates on our behalf to talk about that and, uh, and about raising the game about, you know, why people become homeless. Mm. Actually, I, I think it's just an incredible story. And I, I'm just, I was just actually thinking, and you are talking about, you know, the connections that you made and, you know, how you, how you got to where you got to, uh, and how Natalie was almost pre-prepared, you know, given her story and looking for a charity and her birthday and all these things. A few days before I, uh, or a week before I had discussion with Natalie and heard about your um, your project, uh, Chris had, I don't know why he told me, but he said, you should read The Salt Path. Uh, and if you know this story, Norm, uh, it's a book uh, written by this woman called um, Raina Wynn and her and her husband, uh, out of no fault of their own at the age of, early 50s, lost their farm and became homeless. And uh, so, you know, I, I was, my mind was pre-prepared, uh, you know, for this. And, and look, I just want the listeners to know, I, I've just sort of signed up to volunteer. And, and one of the reasons that I've done that, Norm, and I don't know if I've conveyed this to you, is that my father was in St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, he was on the board, like Natalie is now in your organisation. But he, every Thursday night, he used to go into the, the shelter that used to be in... Um, in Mary Street, uh, next to where the Port Office Hotel is now, and 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 volunteer and you know hand out the soup and you know put these men to bed, and and I've been looking for something to do, and it's you know and there's no shelters in the city anymore, and so for me it was just for me connecting a dot. So you know it's been an absolute privilege uh, to have you both on the show uh, for you to share not only your story but you know to to make people make it available. For people, where can people uh, find find you, Norm, to to help, and where can people find you to, you know, be a guest? Um, well, one of the, you'll probably find me in a car park from the not too distant future, <laughs> trying to trying to help as many people as possible. But um, yeah, look, bed, bed down. Where you know beddown.org.au is the website we're on facebook we're on linkedin we're on instagram my email address is very easy norm at beddown.org.au um guests had a guest finders well that, that's an interesting one because queensland police service is probably one of the biggest referrers to our to our organization as is other charitable organizations and then once guests start talking amongst themselves they um they pretty quickly find out where we are we will have a capacity of probably between 20 to 23 beds for this upcoming trial extended trial everyone gets a queen size mattress to lie on so they can get super comfy and hopefully start experience dreams for the first time in years as well so we try and make it as super comfortable for our guests and as super close to a proper bed as possible so that's how you can kind of find me. You'll find me in a car park for a lot, a lot for about eight weeks in the, the not too distant how, future. 
And Norm, presumably, if, if people have cash that they can't think of a home for, you'd, you'd be happy to receive a donation yeah, as well? Funding is extremely important. Um, we get no government support. We get little corporate support. Uh, but through, in the main, it's from the generosity of people through our social media communities have been very, very generous um, to us in helping us with uh, financial donations as well as e- equipment donations as well. So, um, yes, if anyone has any spare cash in their pockets and they want to donate it to a, a worthy cause, it's very much appreciated and, and I'm very grateful for that. An extremely worthy cause. A, a sort of wonderful story. Natalie, do you have any final words? And, and where where can people that uh, need need help <laughs> find Absolutely. you? Absolutely. <laughs> so e- easy again, Walter Consulting. Be careful, Natalie. Uh, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but you'll you'll find us where on the web. But what I did want to say also is that um, because my amazing team have. Uh, volunteered and that opportunity wasn't available really during COVID um, and if they weren't planners because our, our team has a lot of different people um, they wanted a way to you know stay connected with Bed Down and uh, with Norm so last year we created uh, a little fundraising um, activity that was COVID safe and I, I guess you know at first we were just thinking well let's go and you know sign up and do a fun run and collect money but because we we're all locked down it reminded us of when some of us were kids and we'd do the 40-hour famine and all you had to do was do that at home and, um, you know, get people to sponsor you for the 40 hours. And so we went, oh, well, you know, couldn't we do a similar thing? Instead of giving up food, we're giving up our bed. And uh, and so we thought we'd choose World Homelessness um, Day, uh, which is the 10th of October, and we set up uh, a little um, event, I guess, called Shed Your Bed and essentially all it meant was you know give up your bed for the night and you know see how much money you can raise so of course it doesn't have to be on world homeless day it can just go straight um to bed down but otherwise in october look out for that uh, shed your bed opportunity and we thought yeah i mean people can sleep on their own couch or in the you know their own yard or in a tent um but we did get a bit of a group together and we just slept out uh, near our office in the valley. And, you know, like Norm, while I felt quite safe because there was about 20 of us there sleeping rough, uh, you certainly, you know, got a real feel for the vulnerability that uh, you have with your possessions, with your little piece of cardboard um, to sleep on and people walking by, uh, particularly after a long night out. Um, so, yeah, it's a good good opportunity. So, 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 so uh, sh- shameless plug, plug time in, in terms of, as Natalie just talked about that fundraiser, I, if, if, you, if you can just bear with me, uh, fellas, and uh, Natalie knows about this one, we're going to be launching a, a fundraising initiative in line with the Extended Pilot, and very quickly, if it's okay for me to, to, to share that with yourselves, and, and, and the listeners as well, and, and setting the context around it, it's going to be called the Good Night Initiative. And the whole purpose of the Good Night Initiative is using those words, good night, because for many of us tonight, the last things we'll say to our family, our partner, our children is good night, I love you, and then you'll have a good night's sleep. For someone that's sleeping rough tonight, they won't get to hear those words, and they typically won't have a good night's sleep. So the whole purpose of the Good Night Initiative is for donors to come to our website and buy a good night for someone that doesn't get one. And what we're going to look to do is 
everyone that donates a good night for someone that doesn't get one, they'll be able to leave a message and we'll then take that message and we'll put that on a handwritten note and we'll put that on a pillow for when our guests come down to sleep, they get to find out that actually someone cares about them. That is um that that is, that is fantastic. You Natalie, before you mentioned uh the new norm, uh Chris and I have been doing a a, a sub series of the common creative where just he and I are chatting, um, called the new normal. Um but may, may, maybe norm we'll have to get you <clears throat> get you back for one of those um <coughs> as the new norm uh, to get an update in a couple of months. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, um just I just a very quick story, and we might cut this out if we haven't got too time, but um, when my daughter was six, Norm, she came to me one morning and she said, Dad, why do we say good morning? And I went, well, because it's a salutation, and it's setting up for the day, and it's you know wishing someone, and, and I went on and on, and she's looking at me and nodding, nodding, and she went, yeah, 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 I get all that, but why good, why not great? <laughs> <laughs> go better, and, you go better. And yeah. I went, and I went, Right. Okay. So now, yeah. now we we say great morning, uh, and we <laughs> say uh, in in my office when I had an office we said great morning. People that came in, new people thought it was a bit of a cult, but <laughs> but when we well, when we go to bed we say great night because oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. why say why say good? Uh, we say great. Uh, so um, and uh, and actually. I, I, I'm going to. Uh, I, I hosted TEDx Brisbane for quite a few years, and the last one we had was called The Dreamers. And I still have my t shirt, which is getting, you know, very, very small and tattered, and it's called The Dreamers. Uh, and I've been thinking, I want to get a new version of that. So I'm going to go back to my co host and, and go back and get some reprinted. And I think I'll, I'll make it in honor of Bed Down because uh, I think that thing about The, the Dreamers is just so, uh, so fantastic. Um, any final last words uh, before we uh, wrap it up? Um, no, just for myself, uh, thank you for the opportunity to come on and talk about Bed Dan and the amazing work that Natalie does in terms of helping us get to this point. Um, I'm very grateful and honoured to be sharing the story with you. Thank you. And I'll say the same. Thank you so much to all of you. Very inspiring. Thanks. Privileged to listen to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Fantastic, guys. Thank, thank you, you very folks. much. So thank you very much, Norman and Natalie. Uh, we really hope you've not just enjoyed the show, but gained something valuable from that amazing story. Um, if, you, if you have enjoyed it or appreciated it, we'd love your feedback. Leave your comments uh, below, the, below this podcast. Give us a rating, tell your friends, and spread the word, please. And we hope to see you again next week. Yes, please do. And look, you know, as you know, the, the podcast called The Common Creative after that, we might change it to the common caring man uh, or common caring person to be uh, politically correct. If you do know of people that have amazing stories like that, please uh, be in touch. Uh, let, them, let them know where we are because we'd love to have them on as guests. And uh, yes, and so we'll uh, see you next weekend. At some stage in the future, we will get Norm back for uh, the new Norm or to get an update on his project after he does his official six-week trial and, and launch. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.